Welcome to That Shit Show, a podcast about overcoming trauma. I'm Emma Castle. Thanks for joining me today. I am delighted to welcome to the show Virginia. Virginia is a writer and she's also a, a voiceover artist. Um, she's very accomplished in what she has been doing for the last few years. But one, one thing happened, I would say, two years ago now that really blindsided you. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So welcome, Virginia. Hi, Emma. Thanks. It's, it's good to join you. Thank you. Thanks for this too. <laughs> uh, so, can you tell me a little bit about what happened? Um, it was 2016. Um, so it was the 21st of December. Um, I got a call. I was out at a networking event, and I got a call from my partner saying that the police had been at our door uh, to find next of kin for my brother um, because he'd passed away. It was completely unexpected. Um, I lived alone and, um, yeah, I, I don't know how, how much gory detail you want me to go into, but uh, the circumstances around his death are mysterious. We don't know the cause or the exact date. Yeah, we found out on the 21st of December and the police said that he had been deceased in his apartment for at least a week uh, and this was like the height of summer. So, yeah, that was a pretty traumatic episode that kick-started a whole, I'd say three years of prolonged grief and trauma. Uh, it wasn't just coming to terms with the loss of my brother. It was, as I said, the circumstances around it and finding out details about his life that he'd kept from us. And then also the process of, cause he died without a will. My other brother and I had to be administrators. And because my other brother has schizophrenia, I pretty much did most if not all of the admin stuff, which, you know, it's, it's baptism of fire. I'd never had to do that before and I don't recommend it. <laughs> Please, people, get a will. <laughs> I don't care how old you are, how young you are, get a will. No documentation of anything, any wishes of any kind. No. Well, the thing was my brother was a hoarder. He had compulsive hoarding disorder, which we knew, but we did not realise the extent of it. After the forensic cleaners had finished in the apartment, um, there was the big task of emptying it. And, like, we, we thought that he at least had a bed that he slept on and a functioning bathroom and kitchen, but pretty much the apartment was floor-to-ceiling stuff. And it appears that he slept on a mound of his stuff just inside the front door, um, which was pretty heartbreaking to, to realise. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was a <laughs> mammoth task going through any kind of paperwork and my partner and some friends emptied the flat, cleaned it out and emptied it because I just couldn't, couldn't do it. So, yeah, no, among the paperwork there was no sort of will. Um, and then you have to go through all these things with the Supreme Court. You've got to try and find the will through as, as many avenues as you can, the public trustee, various um, lawyers, banks, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a lot of running around while you're grieving as well and in shock and in trauma. But I, I guess the, the thing that got me through has been counselling. Losing my brother sort of opened up a whole can of worms of our early life and our upbringing and there is a background of shame to our upbringing. Uh, I know I'm not alone in that. A lot of people of our generation had that sort of background. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of like I had this saying early on that, you know, I had to lose my brother to find myself. And it kind of, it sounds shitty at the same time as 
redemptive, if, if that's a word. <laughs> no, um, this is a um, tr- truthfully a relatively common phenomena. Um, yeah, post-traumatic growth and because it, it forces your hand, it forces you to do and go that you maybe didn't even realise were there, you know. Like, yeah. yeah. So it's the 21st of December when you find this out and so you're kind of coming into Christmas. This is a difficult time for administration but also to find counsellors. Um, this is a different, difficult time for anything that requires anything with an office. So. What do you do? Like you find out this has happened, the police have called you. What happens then? Um, well, we had to deal with the, the coroner for a bit too because just, you know, whether we wanted to have an autopsy and we decided against that because um, they said that the state that his remains were in, they wouldn't be able to say that, that that wouldn't have given a more clear indication as to the cause of death. So, you know, and I... I Found I um, went to the hospital that he used to go to and got the last few years of his medical records. I went on a bit of a detective quest. Yeah. Rami was saying, you know, when is the point going to come where you just stop digging? And th- that was part of my, my grief process was trying to find answers to things that didn't have answers. And I realised that some of those things never have answers and I've just got to accept that. That must be incredibly hard because you said obviously you hadn't been to his place for a long time, if ever. We weren't allowed. We weren't allowed. We were, you know, he'd always come to our place. Um, and that's, yeah, it, it was a kind of a double life. Um, the public face that he presented to friends and family was different to the private. I mean, we, we would see more of his private self than he would say present to acquaintances or friends but still it wasn't the full picture it wasn't the the whole story because of the shame involved right so this this hoarding I guess um Mm. ever did you ever know he had any hoarding tendency prior to this Uh, he was always messy and disheveled as a kid um he had in the 70s the you know bipolar and ADHD weren't really as far as I know, recognised. Um, so he was, I think ADHD was termed hyperactive back then. So he had, I don't think it was a clinical diagnosis, but I remember the word hyperactive being bandied about when we were kids. Um, and there was, it wasn't until our 30s that he told me that he had been sexually abused by a cousin of ours. Um, I think it was just a one-off. It was something that he told myself and a couple of his former partners. But even when I quizzed them after he died, they said there wasn't a lot of detail, so we don't know if it was ongoing or a one-off. Suffice to say it was enough to traumatise him. Yeah, and and I kind of, um, I attribute the trajectory of his life partly to that experience. Um, You know, in his 20s he started drinking a lot and he, he did develop an alcohol abuse problem, um, which didn't help. So it's kind of like this perfect storm of, of a mental illness in the hoarding and then the alcohol abuse that I, I guess sort of led to him neglecting his health and that sort of snowballed into him dying. His medical records, were there any clues as to genital issues or like could it have been a heart failure or a stroke or... He was on high blood pressure medication, I discovered. Um, he'd go to the doctor for something, but then he wouldn't follow up. If they wanted him to come back, he wouldn't do it. 
the beginning of the end for him was, according to the hospital records and what the police told us that they found, was apparently he went to a Halloween party. And this was in the same year that, you know, the Trump versus Clinton election was happening. So um, he was very like politically savvy and active and um, knew so much more about it than I ever did. And so he went to a Halloween party and it could have been put on by one of those American societies because he had a lot of contacts in the expat community. Apparently he got drunk there, um, came home, passed out in the doorway of his flat, but had closed the door. And then at about two in the morning, neighbours could hear him calling out for help. So they rang ambulance who came and had to cut the door down so they could get him out. He was in hospital for a week and didn't tell any of his friends or family, which breaks my heart, you know, because the hospital's just up the road. I could have gone to visit him. But again, he wanted to keep that secret. I guess the shame, he didn't want us to know that he was still drinking. He was in the infectious diseases department, so he must have got some infection that just got a lot worse. He was in there for a week, then didn't attend any of his follow-up appointments. Then I I believe he presented to the hospital to the um, outpatients, but it was like a two-hour wait to be triaged and then left, and that's apparently the last public sighting of him, according to the records. And then, yeah, about a week later, he'd gone. So I just think it it could have been some sort of sepsis, maybe, that he didn't know he had. So it didn't get treated. And there we are. And so I guess where does that leave you as his sister? Because I guess we all, we don't really know everything about our siblings unless they're willing to share that information with us. Mm. but you do know a lot of information about them from when they were young and like you feel like you have an inherent knowing of this person. So, I mean, growing up, did he ever seem to be secretive to you or? Yeah. Wow. So there's like some patterns of behaviour here, that, mm. like with this kind of neglect of follow-up for treatment and possibly like secretiveness yeah. and things like that, which kind of would actually kind of align with sexual abuse actually because often Mm. yeah that kind of becomes a behavior but um so but he was a good guy right so what was he actually like as a person he had he had a huge heart you know um and he you know he he wasn't doing too well himself he was effectively unemployed he went from contract job to contract job mostly um physical physical kind of stuff he would um, help with bumping in and bumping out of productions, like whether it was at the Sydney Opera House or Big Day Out, that kind of stuff. He loved that. If it had an arts and culture bent, he wanted in. But he was almost, like, I think he even called himself a professional job seeker too because he was always doing job applications. And his psych- sorry, psychi- psychiatrist who I spoke to after he died, because uh, that was part of my detective thing, wanting to find out as much as I could, um, he said that that, you know, persistent job hunting was like a coping mechanism, I guess, for, you know, his, his shame and, and wanting to prove himself. Essentially, he was a, a good man. He cared. He cared about others, less fortunate. He was an activist. As I said, he had political activist leanings. He used to hang out at, do you know the Addison Road Centre in Marrickville? Yeah. He out there and um, was quite a fixture and volunteer there, various places. And was always wanting to contribute and help, you know, so he, but at the same time he was a bit of a volatile personality too. So. But I guess if he's always been like that, like 
and he's not telling you things like he's been in hospital. Mm. It's hard as a sibling. It's been a lot of years, right? And if someone's been a bit of a worry their whole life, you don't know when to actually escalate that worry, you know, especially if you're not seeing them regularly and they're not telling yeah. you. So it's like yeah. you would have been like, oh, yeah, my brother, he's a bit of a, you know, he's, he's an unusual dude but we love him and that's just kind of how he is. We accept him. Yeah. Did you feel guilty that you hadn't kind of had that escalation of worry or? Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely, and I still do. I, I feel like I could have, should have done more. As I said, I knew he was a hoarder. I just didn't realise the extent of it. We had a tumultuous relationship growing up and part of my not being in touch so much was for my own protection and a deeper connection with him and, and that wasn't always possible because he had this facade that, that was what he wanted you to see. Yeah, yeah, that would be so hard. But there's a kind of element of taking each other for granted and kind of almost happy yes. that because you can't live your life in a heightened state of worry about everyone you love. Like, you know, mm. everyone has their own things going on and at times you're completely diverted by your own problems. You're not really yeah. focusing on other people. So I guess afterwards, like once you've kind of been through the whole coroner thing, the place has been decluttered. Where are you left with counselling? Like what, what do you, how did you find the right counsellor for starters? Well, I went, I went to the GP the, the week after we found out. I thought I want to go on a mental health plan to get grief counselling. So I did that. But the, the woman that the GP referred me to was lovely. So I think I did about the, the, the first 10 sessions with her um, through the mental health plan. And then I just thought, mm, she's not quite giving me what I want. She, we got on well and, and she was insightful, but I just thought there was something missing. And some friends of ours have a friend who's a clinical psychologist. So um, I went to the GP again and got a referral to him and I've been with him ever since. He's, he's got background in a specific background in um, people who've had sexual abuse and the trauma and shame kind of stuff. And so that's, that just, that I, I, I feel like, you know, I'm not sure how my <laughs> nearest and dearest feel, but I feel like I've made some shifts, growth in, in, and changes in how I respond to things. And I, I feel like I'm more in control of the anxiety. So this event, had you that kind of experienced anxiety before your brother's? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I diagnosed in my 20s. Ah, okay. And so this exacerbated it. So yeah, um, yeah, I guess what were the triggers? Were there triggers or was it just free ranging anxiety? Just thinking, shit, <laughs> things can always go wrong anytime. Well, the thing was my brother was a, a trigger during our life together. He was a trigger for my anxiety. Um, I guess only because I let, let him be. Can't, that's not his responsibility. But I guess my anxiety stems from, um, you know, low self-esteem and the shame background. So feeling like I have to strive to please people or um, be responsible for their feelings, that's where a lot of my anxiety comes from and just learning to just back off and, and I am not responsible for other people, just myself. Yeah, that is... Man, I can do that. <laughs> I haven't been um, Yeah, so, okay, so therapy's kind of helped you deal with the grief. Um, and, I yeah. guess, and I guess the investigation aspects helped you p- apply some practical skills to 
uh, kind of calming yourself, I suppose, because I can imagine I'd want to do the same thing. So how much information was available? Were you able to actually get hold of a lot of information? Yeah, I think the hospital, um, I think it was three to five years of, of medical records they released. Then I was able to access his emails. But there were some things that slipped through the cracks because he had so many email addresses. And one of the things that <laughs> was another shock was going around to his apartment, checking his letterbox and got a letter from um, a company that leases out storage containers, you know, the big shipping containers. Oh, yeah. He'd been renting one of those for a few years and had fallen behind with payments. <clears throat> so we ended up paying $6,000 to access his storage container and most of the contents of that just had to be binned. So that was like money straight to the bin. <laughs> yeah. You know, there were a few little relics in there that I've, I've kept and there was a little photo of my mum and dad that he I've never seen before that, that was in amongst all the garbage bags and things. So, yeah, but think, things like that kind of just flared up the, the grief again. Well, because you'd also be angry at him. You'd just think, for God's sake, <laughs> what are you doing, buddy? Yeah, and funnily, <clears throat> funnily enough, this um, container was near where we used to walk our dogs quite regularly. <laughs> Unbeknownst to us, we'd be walking past it, you know, a few times a week. <laughs> and my mind to places like that, you know, just thinking, making, trying to connect things, you know. Yeah. Yeah, because mm. so you find a good therapist, you find a good um, psychologist, <laughs> you're making progress. So you with things like birthdays and Christmas, particularly Christmas. Christmas is, is tough because, yeah, it's, it's the anniversary and it was his favourite time of year. Birthdays, yeah, a little bit sensitive, but it's the Christmas ones. Yeah. But because you're also surrounded by all this enforced joy and, you know, <laughs> commercialised joy and it's like, well, what if I don't feel like it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> mm. I guess, you know, you're a few years down the track now. I, I suppose, mm. like, how does it feel in your family? Like, do you feel like there's just this among this hole? Or does that whole kind of close up or, or are they still there? Is the person still there? Oh, we still talk about him. It's just my other my other brother and I now. Yeah, we still talk about him. I do catch myself going for, you know, a few days in a row not thinking about him. Then I'll see a photo in the house. It's like, oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> and that also I'll feel a bit guilty. Um, but sometimes, you know, I don't... <laughs> I'll hear songs on the radio or there'll be little little signs that come. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I identify as a spiritual person and whether it's just coincidence or, yeah, I'm, I'm reading into things, I, there are signs that I feel or it just reminds me of him, whether it's his presence or just makes me think of him, you know. Yeah. It, it helps ease the, the grief, which is nice. Do you ever feel like he's trying to communicate with you through these signs? Um, more so in dreams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'll, I've had a few dreams since where it's like he's sort of faked his own death and he's come back or I'll see him somewhere and he's not expecting to see me and I race up to him and I hug him and don't want to let him go and he's trying to sort of get out of my grip. Not 
to run away, but just sort of like, hey, whoa, whoa back, you know, I'm still here kind of thing. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, they're just, I guess the messages in the dreams are just to reassure me yeah. that, he's, that he's, he's not here physically, but he's still in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose, I mean, the circumstances of your brother's death were certainly unusual and there must have been a lot of layers of shock as you discovered these things about him. Mm, mm. Like every every person is different, every situation is different. But like were there things that people could do to help you or were there things that just really gave you the shit? The friends that I thought would, would support me just didn't. Friends that I've known since early high school that just kind of backed away or did the old, um, you know, I'm here for you. Let me know if I can help. It's like, well, why do I have to approach you? Why can't you actually actively be there for me? Check in on me. But it, it didn't happen. My partner was great. And we've got some uh, neighbours who just moved out of the area yesterday that I'm going to really miss. They they were just wonderful. Um they helped in, empty the flat, so they they provided this practical support, but emotional support as well. You know, one of them even said to me, five months after he died, life goes on." I'm just like, "Whoa!" I said to her, "That that really hurts." And she's like, "Maybe it's because you're not letting your life go on." It's like, "Do you do you hear yourself? <laughs> do you realize how that might affect me?" Um, but I don't know that she knew the actual, the full circumstances of his death. And I think, but if, if not, some of my friends had gone through this, how would they feel if someone said that to them? You know, <laughs> people can just be kind of cavalier and then others can be like, you know, they just don't want to know about death and grief. It's taboo and, yeah, reminds them of their own mortality. So was there anyone apart from your partner who was good? Like apart, like your neighbours provided practical support, your partner was obviously right in this. And, and emotional. The neighbours, you know, helped emotionally too. Yeah. Um, but there was the, the psychologist. Yeah, that's about it. There was some, I found some Facebook groups for, um, there's a group called the Compassionate Friends. It's mostly for parents who have lost children, but there's an offshoot of it called The Sound of Siblings, I think. Um, so I joined that for a while, just the Facebook group, and there was another US-based one that was specifically for people who had lost siblings due to substance abuse. But I just after a while, I just thought, oh, it's too full on reading other people's experiences. And, you know, I, I contributed where I could and offered support, as you do in those groups, just with comments and that kind of thing. But I thought, this isn't helping me with my grief. It's just compounding. And, like, yeah, I need to just cocoon a bit more and buffer. So writing, journaling has helped a lot. Meditation. Yeah. What about like the things like the actual practicalities like of dealing with the police and the coroner and like what kind of funeral did you have? I mean, without a will and like at a strange time it's here to be organising such a thing. Was there any resource that could help you with the sort of legalities and the like kind of administration side of things because you said you sort of wound up doing that mostly yourself. Just looking on the internet because um, when you'd, you'd ring, say, the Supreme Court and other government bodies for legal advice, they can't give it. They can refer you to lawyers. I think I went to legal aid once on a matter to do with the strata for his apartment. They were wanting to charge us for um, fumigation of a neighbouring flat. It was actually two flats away that they got their fumigated and wanted to charge the estate because they figured that the the pests had come 
from my brother's um, living conditions. But, yeah, we, we managed to get out of that. How do, how do you prove that the pests did come from that and how do you prove they didn't? How do we prove they didn't? So Yeah, you can't. There's just no way. No, especially in Sydney in summer. Everyone's yeah. got cockroaches. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, right. So even like things like that because I remember a friend of mine, um, like his dad passed away and he kept getting phone bills from this particular phone company and they just mm. could not accept that this man had died. <laughs> like, even, what? Yeah, it was just like this, this long frustrating battle to prove that he died. He was dead. Isn't a death certificate enough? <laughs> well, apparently it wasn't. Like they oh, they ended up in this big fight and so there's oh. these things that can kind of come at you that you wouldn't mm. think of like they're just things that you just like yeah. pull the letter in the mail and and so how do you how do you close that out like is there a way of kind of shutting that down um I would procrastinate and and leave it till the very last minute to deal with something because I didn't want to because it was just too upsetting but then people especially my partner would say the sooner you deal with it the sooner it's done so I would try and do that didn't always work yeah yeah Right. Did did that process help with the process of acceptance or was it just a kind of another trigger, like of just having to a bit of both, a bit of both. And once the matter was, you know, done and dusted, I could move on until the next thing came along. Um because there was also the matter of um cleaning, not just cleaning out his apartment, but cleaning it, repainting it, renovating it, which my partner and I did. My other brother wanted to hang on to it and rent it out, but I just thought I don't want the emotional burden of that. Yeah, it would have been financially savvy, I guess, but I just thought, no, I, I just need a clean slate. Um, and the place would always remind me of, of him. Um, so, yeah, we, we renovated it and sold it when the market was flat, but what can you do? <laughs> I just needed, I needed to cut that tie to help me move on. And it has. So I guess where you're at now, like where are you at now? Like what's a normal day for you now in terms of this situation? Most days I, I talk to him, you know, <laughs> as if he's here, just, you know, like, oh, what, do you, what do you think about that? Or, you know, I guess it's just, I'm thinking, but I'll just say something out loud as if I'm talking to him. And I, I know that other people have lost loved ones do the same kind of thing kind of it's it's comforting I still write about him a bit and I'm thinking well not thinking um I'm slowly starting to piece together notes for a memoir which I think will be a kind of catharsis even if I write it for myself and not pitch it to any publishers just just to get it out there so a bit slow on that though I haven't touched it for a few months I feel like writing as a writer, writing so much. Like, and you're in the midst of all this. Like, did you think, oh, I'm going to write about this? This is actually a good story. For me, it would depend how I wrote it, whether it was compelling or not. Because I, you know, I guess in the back of my mind, I'm thinking there are other people who've been through far worse that whose experience might make a more compelling read. Then I think, am I just discounting that, or I, I don't know. What advice would you give to people who are supporting a grieving person? Because you said that you felt a sense of being like, a, like you were failed by people you had hoped for better behaviour from. 
I, I guess it depends on on how close a friendship or relationship you might have with the people around you. But yeah, um, advice to someone who wants to support a grieving person is just do it. Don't do the cop out. It's like a platitude saying, oh, I'm here for you and not be. Say that and do it. Call, check in on them. I'm not saying, you know, take them around a care package, that kind of thing, but just it doesn't take five minutes to even text or Facebook message. It doesn't have to be a two-hour phone call. Just check in on them and it's that's opening the channels of communication, giving the, the grieving person almost like permission because sometimes the grieving person doesn't want to burden others with their grief because it's a, it's a downer. So, yeah, just um, you say you're going to be there for someone, be there. Don't say to them to reach out to you. That that would be my number one. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> really good tip. Yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> to be proactive, to yeah, like this person who's kind of weakened by grief. Even if it's that, you know, the thing you don't know what to say, you don't have to say something and you just hold the space as the saying goes. Just sit with them and be with them even, you know, and if, you, if you're the hugging type, coronavirus notwithstanding, hug them, hold them. Is there any end to it? For me, in my experience, uh, I don't think it'll ever go away. I don't think I'll ever get over it. It will just ebb and flow. Like we were talking about, anniversaries will, we'll see it surge again. But day to day, the, I guess the episodes of, of the strong grief become further apart. But I do, for me, I think it'll always be there because of our shared history we had that I think there'll always be some sort of grief there. I think there's a real generosity in sharing your story because you just, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like like there'd be somebody out there who will listen to this and hopefully feel better. (laughs) Thank thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for creating this. You've created this space for me. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to That Shit Show. If you like what you've heard, head to the Facebook page or the website for more information. It's thatshitshowpodcast.com. You'll find show notes and more episodes to download. Thanks so much for joining me.